Hello, and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sienkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every week I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question related to nutrition, fitness, and to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth taking as a result, we aim to get you thinking, to get you moving, and to get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning in. How are you doing, E.C.? Great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Today, we're going to dive back into your Instagram, which I mean, I assume everybody listening is also following you on Instagram because it's like getting a bite-sized nutrition lecture every day. And we're going to go back to one that you posted a little while ago. And and the text on the graphic said, we need to redefine health. Only one in eight Americans meet these markers of metabolic health without medication. And then you've got a list of six markers that we're obviously going to dive into today. But I think the thing I really responded to this, a couple things is one, redefining health. I'd love to know what that means and maybe what that looks like. And I think it's something that we've, you know, in the, in the work that you and I do in the last 10 or 15 years, I think that that's what CrossFit's been trying to do. I think that that's what you're trying to do. And I think it's really interesting to put it that succinctly, redefining health. I, I, I'm not sure I've thought about it. Not, not to say that it's simple, but that it put that simply. And then the obvious other thing that really stuck out to me is this idea that one in eight Americans meet these markers without medication. And, you know, I was joking before we started recording that, like, despite my paying attention to all this for the last 10 or 15 years, I would not have put it that low, naively, maybe or not, but but yeah. 12%, which I think is what what that comes out to is like, the, that's even a bigger problem than I thought. And so that's yeah. what we're going to dive in today. And so I kind of wanted, maybe the, the best place to start is maybe just giving a quick sense of what these markers are. Yeah. And as much as it makes sense, kind of why either individually or collectively, like these are the six that make the most sense, mm-hmm. if maybe that's the right place to start. Yeah. Yeah. So this study was in 2019 in the Metabolic Syndrome and Related Disorders Journal, and it's called The Prevalence of Optimal Metabolic Health in American Adults National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. They're looking at data from 2019 to 2016, adults over 20. And they had about a sample size of about almost 9,000 adults. And they looked at these six health markers. And the first was weight circumference. And they're looking for men to be less than 40 inches, females to be less than 35 inches, fasting glucose to be below 100 milligrams per deciliter, hemoglobin H1C to be below 5.7%, blood pressure to be below 120 over 80 milligrams per mercury, triglycerides to be below 150 milligrams per deciliter. And finally, your high density lipoprotein or HDL cholesterol to be above 40 and 50 milligrams per deciliter for male and female. And I don't want to go into each one individually. I think I'd rather tackle it from this idea of what is metabolic health, because that's what they were really looking Mm. at. And I think it can get really confusing to think about metabolic health, because you hear all these different terms I just listed, you hear all these different numbers, and you start getting lost in the details. But, you know, metabolism is the process of breaking our food down and creating energy. And so when we're looking at things like fasting glucose, that's, hey, our carbohydrates have been broken down from our food. When we're looking at things like triglycerides, that's part of fat, right? And so when any of these things get too high, that process is not going very well. Like if my glucose is through the roof, or if my triglycerides are through the roof, you can think about it as the system is backlogged, like the system is not processing and storing and putting these things away as they should. And so that's what they're looking at. They're like, how is this overall system going of metabolism? Are all these nutrients going in the right places? Are they being stored effectively? And that's how they define metabolic health. So they're really looking at it from a metabolism point of view. But of course, these are linked to what happens with mortality, disease, other things. Now, 
we could argue whether or not these are the best six, whether or not these are the best six cutoff points. And I think there's some interesting discussions to be had there. But I think overall, they're pretty well accepted risk markers for death, disease, mortality, and such that, yeah, looking at them collectively isn't necessarily the whole picture, but it's a it's a pretty good picture. Mm-hmm. And so what they found was that, you know, as you've already said, one in eight or about 12% were able to meet all of these without medication. And I think what's really interesting about the way that they were looking at this is they weren't trying to say that, you know, 30% of the population is overweight, or 30% of the population has hypertension or identifying disease, what they were saying is, hey, let's set the standard for healthy. And then how do we meet the standard for healthy? And I think that's like you were saying, this idea of redefining health is health should be health. (laughs) You know, and anything away from that is where we need to be concerned. It's not when we have disease that we're concerned, anything away from health should be disease. Yeah. You know, we're obviously living through a time when this idea or this vulnerability seems to be exposed at an even greater degree than a year ago, right? Not that a year ago was any better. It was just our collective vulnerability has been exposed because of COVID, because of coronavirus. And I wonder if where that fits into this conversation, where where that fits into the reasoning or the rationale why we should, one, be paying attention and two, really talking about how to redefine health. Where is that in the mix? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I came across this study is somebody else actually posted it, you know, during this COVID lockdown, just talking about our vulnerability. And they were citing this study, which really wasn't looking at it from a coronavirus perspective, just overall health. But it is true. What we're finding Mm -hmm. is, you know, people who are dying from COVID tend to have an underlying condition, whether or not it's cardiovascular disease, whether or not it's hypertension, whether or not it's diabetes. I don't actually have the exact stats on, you know, who's the percentage that are dying with the underlying condition, but we do know that like 90% of people being hospitalized have a problem, have one of these pre-existing conditions. And, you know, I think it becomes very clear to us that we are a vulnerable population and that all of these pre-existing conditions, especially in the face of something that's unknown, like COVID makes us more vulnerable. Now, I do want to put a little caveat out there. I think especially I've kind of seen this, you know, in the greater CrossFit community, it's like, uh, I've got a I've got a big deadlift and I can run a fast mile like I'm invincible to COVID. And, and that's not the case at all. I mean, there's definitely people that have mm. been affected by this and have died who are very healthy individuals. So we can't just say that we're invincible because we have health. It's just a matter of changing our risk, right? So mm-hmm. if we have one of these pre-existing conditions, we are way more at risk than not. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really just highlighted how vulnerable our population was. And to be honest, that was, that's my biggest, that was a big stress during our still is during the shutdown. It's like, even with cutting off our economy, we still have 100,000 plus deaths, and it's still going to keep growing, right? And so it does speak to our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I mentioned it at the top, my surprise at the 12%, the one in eight folks. I guess the, the simple question is, why am I so surprised by that? What is it that I didn't see that I think so many people don't see that that is such a surprise that that we all collectively think like, yeah, we're, we could be healthier. Lots of people are overweight, but like we're, we've got to be at like 40, 50% who mm-hmm. can pass these tests. Yeah. And yet clearly we're not. So like, what is it that's kind of standing in the way of our, at least getting a really good sense of what the truth is or what, what the reality is? Cause before we do that, we're never going to fix it. Cause yeah. you can't fix something you don't think is broken. So why is there such a gap between reality and what we all kind of perceive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch there. I think there's just some sort of general perception about what healthy is. 
I think a lot of us associate, you know, until you are in the wheelchair or need assistance or until you need oxygen or whatever the condition is that you're not sick. And, and really, that's that's not the case. That's kind of end state. You know, like I was saying before, we mm. want to establish this idea that health is health and anything away from that is where we need to start, you know, attacking a treatment. I'm going to put treatment in quotes because I'm sure I'm certainly not talking about medical treatment here, but we need to start tracking like we're mm-hmm. fixing it, not just waiting until we really need medical intervention or something like that. So there's that issue. It's just sort of like recognizing that it's a continuum. <laughs> and that as soon as mm. we've moved away from health, we've already got, a, a, you could call it a shade of gray of the end state. And so establishing that, and I think some of that actually comes into play when we see our doctor, you know, if we start trending in the wrong direction, instead of saying, oh, you're not there yet, we'll check again in a year, it should be, oh, we need to fix this now because you're going in the wrong direction. And I think, you know, that's another Mm -hmm. discussion, but, but identifying that as a problem, right? Like we can't wait till we need the medication to identify the problem. But the other thing is, I do think, and this is just, you know, more aesthetics based in our culture is I think if you're not severely overweight you know, you're considered healthy, like normal weight is considered, oh, I must be healthy. And there certainly is a relationship between weight and health. In fact, I did another post today about it. Like there certainly is a relationship, but it's not foolproof. In fact, in this study, when they looked at the people that were normal weight of who could meet all six standards, it got better from one and eight, but it didn't get, you know, way better. It got better to like one and three, which is significantly better. Mm -hmm. So 33% met all standards at normal weight. But that's not like 80 or 90%. So it's just saying that your normal weight yeah. doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden at optimal. We still have some work to do for sure. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are, are, are kind of trigger a question for me, which is, you know, this idea of maybe when you go to the doctor, there should be something different than kind of what is what is currently being done. And then this idea of like being confused by by when we just look at weight, we just look at somebody's body weight and do they do they look quote unquote good or overweight or whatever where does the responsibility lie mm-hmm. or where do you think the responsibility should lie or the actions taken there you know thereafter to get closer to reality to actually look at this truthfully and not through a lens that is you know that's all foggy should we all be expecting our doctor to be looking at this and therefore less that we have to worry about it or is it all on us and we have to go to the doctor with a certain list of things that we want to look at. Like, I just, I'm just really curious thinking about, cause this is a really kind of like a structural systematic blind spot to a large degree. Where does the individual like fit into that? And how can the individual start making progress in the right direction? Yeah. I mean, that's a really great question because I actually don't think it's the doctor's responsibility. I mean, especially in the way that our paradigm is set up, the, the doctor is supposed to fix the disease and that's exactly what they're doing. You know, I'm not down on conventional medication and conventional medicine at all because it really is more of like a health coaching fix that needs to happen. You know, if you move into pre-diabetic mm. ranges for fasting glucose, you don't need a medication and no, you're not going to fall over dead tomorrow, but we need to improve that. And so what does that look like and where does that education come in? And I don't know. And this is this is where I think there's been a big push for health coaches because that's exactly what their role is. They can kind of buttress the mm. medical establishment by working on things that aren't truly medical issues, that don't need treatment, that don't need a MD degree, but can still make positive changes in people's health. And so I do think there can be a really nice continuum of care, as I've heard it called before, where you know there are other people who are assisting with people's general health, but th- again, they don't need to have this four-year residency, four-year degree, and understanding interactions between medications and understanding disease and disease processes to still have some really great effects. But 
I think we mentioned this in another podcast. Ultimately, I think the accountability does come back to the person, you know, whether or not we can do better on education and whether or not we can buttress the continuum of care at some point, the individual does need to kind of take responsibility for that. Yeah. Is part of the challenge for, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm obviously this understatement that I'm not a doctor, so I don't know <laughs> exactly what the challenges are, but do you, do you imagine, do you know that part of the challenge is that they are being put into a position where they are by virtue of the absence of anybody else responsible for not only re responding to a disease, say, but also trying to have conversations about preventative measures. And it just doesn't make sense. It's not what they do. It's not what it's built for. You know, you're, it's not built to have those conversations or build those long-term relationships that can tackle issues long before the, the issues ever really like, does that make sense? Like, is that part of the challenge? It's just like, we're expecting too much from the doctor. We think the doctor's here to fix us or help us stay healthy when that's actually not what they're ideally meant for. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think in the way that they're currently set up, I do think that we're expecting a little bit too much from our MD doctors. Now, some of that's changing and they're trying, you know, and that's criticism maybe of the insurance process or whatever, where our doctors don't get enough time yeah. from us. But speaking from somebody who educates people on nutrition, I mean, I have a basic course that's at least six hours in content and people still have plenty of questions. So, you know, yep. and they're not done necessarily with their nutrition process at the end of that course. It could just be a better understanding for them to move forward for the next years and months. And so it's like, I also think it's a little bit unrealistic to think that your doctor is going to know, you know, truly diseases that need medication and how to prescribe that and how to do dosing and how the systems all work together. And then also be able to coach yep. you through the yes, no decisions that we need every day in life. So I think there, right now, there is this expect expectation on doctors, which is a little bit unrealistic. Because again, yeah, like nutrition education is a whole field and career on its own. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things you said, which we've definitely touched on, and I think we'll continue to touch on, but always worth reiterating or re-mentioning, but you said the the idea, or you talked about the idea of self, you know, of accountability and, and taking responsibility as it relates to this idea, as it relates to our individual metabolic health, what are the steps? What are the things we should be paying attention to? Even if we don't want to ever think about what flat fasting glucose means, mm -hmm. what are the things that we can do on a regular basis, on a daily basis that can without our knowing it, improve these six markers going forward. Yeah. I mean, this is probably going to come as a surprise to you, Patrick, but eat mostly whole unprocessed foods in the right quantity, exercise, sleep, decrease stress. You know, again, this metabolic health, one of the things that they're looking at is how much we're overloading the system. Well, we're overloading the system if we eat too much. So right there, that's diet quantity. And then, of course, diet quality comes in because these processes require more than just having protein around and carbs around and, and fat around. They require the micronutrients in these processes. So, I mean, this is where we start to come back to some really simple solutions that, for the most part, you don't really have to worry what your fasting glucose is if you're eating the mostly whole unprocessed foods in the right quantity and getting some exercise in and getting some sleep in. You don't have to worry about, you know, your cholesterol level because that stuff starts to fall in line when we get these really basic habits in place. Of course, there's some genetic variation there and some people are going to have some outliers. But for the most part, it's again, these really simple practices, simple in concept, maybe hard to implement that will get us to be one of the one in the eight or the 12%. Mm -hmm. Again, it seems maybe simple and something that I think we're going to talk about a lot. But what are the downstream effects of being more consistent in eating the right food at the right quantity? exercising, getting enough sleep, reducing stress, because we, you know, we talked about and we're living through this time of COVID where 
It seems like it's an emergency, Mm -hmm. but we'll get through this and we've got to look at what comes next. And so what are the benefits maybe now while we're living through this, but also the long-term benefits? Why are we doing this? What are the reasons that we should be paying attention to these things? Yeah. I think there's something really interesting about this kind of one in eight study of, you know, people are metabolically healthy because I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in that I think it shows how resilient and how (laughs) strong the body Mm. is with really crappy inputs. You know, we have really poor diet (laughs) for the most part. We're not a healthy population. We aren't sleeping enough. We aren't exercising enough. And yet we're living to mid to late seventies, you know? And so Mm, it's kind of amazing how well we're doing with really poor inputs. It, It means that our modern medicine is actually freaking amazing. And with our modern prosperous lifestyle, our sheltered environments, our controlled environments, it is really amazing. And then come around to coronavirus, the flip side of that is, wow, we're also really fragile, right in the face of something Mm. unknown. And so I think, I think the real value of this is not necessarily protecting yourself against COVID. I mean, you're not going to make any significant health changes in the next, you know, six months in terms of lasting effect on cardiovascular disease risk. I mean, it's just too, too quick of a turnaround time. But I think the idea is, is yeah, whatever known diseases are out there or unknown diseases to come down the pipeline next is that you will be better in the face of that. And also throughout all that time, have a better quality of life, right? So it's not just like preparing Mm -hmm. for the next COVID. Hopefully we don't see another one in our lifetime, but it's like, hey, in the face of these potential chronic diseases, which are very likely, we can push them out and also have that better quality of life. Mm -hmm. As we start to wrap up, is there anything about this topic of metabolic health of these markers, maybe that is worth mentioning, maybe something that I didn't ask before we wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I liked your point about, are these markers the best markers? I think there's some interesting discussion to be had there. I, of course, with my background, our background, I'd love to see a fitness marker in there. You know, I could argue that maybe Mm, we could take out, take out two or three of them and put in a mile time, and maybe get the same outcome, (laughs) you know, or something like that. Yeah. But the other thing I want to point out, about these levels, if somebody kind of chases down the study and look at them is they're not elite, they're not out of reach. I don't want to say it's like, Mm. these markers that they established for health are very attainable, you know, you don't have to be the next CrossFit Games, you know, winner to achieve these. And, And I think that's really important, because we're putting in this study, they put a value on health that I think is very realistic, You don't have to have six pack abs. You don't have to weigh and measure every single thing you eat every day. And yet so many of us aren't there. Mm. Are these six markers, are they something that are pretty easily accessible for folks if they did want to at least get a a starting place? Is this just a, is it, I mean, obviously not waist circumference, but is this a blood work Mm -hmm. that is abnormal? Like in other words, like, do you have to ask specifically for any of these or are these pretty standard blood markers that you can get if you just kind of go ask your doctor to yeah. get a blood test or whatever. Yeah, they're going to run these with your standard yearly kind of physical if you ask for it or, or a lipid panel. Got it. These are very standard that they'd be looking at for sure. Awesome. Good to know. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the show and leave us a review. That helps other folks find us. And then we'll see everybody next episode. Hi all, EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. 
Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.